For God's sake, let us sit upon the ground and tell sad stories of the deaths of kings, how some have been deposed, some slain in war. I me, I see the ruin of my house. The tiger now hath seized the gentle hind. Insulting tyranny begins to jut upon the innocent and aweless throne. What is a man? Sure he made us with such large discourse, looking before and after, gave us not that capability and godlike reason to fust in us unused. O oh, my dear father, restoration hang thy medicine on my lips, and let this kiss repair those violent harms that my two sisters have in thy reverence made. I am a king that find thee, and I know, tis not the balm, the scepter and the ball, the sword, the mace, the crown imperial, the throne he sits on, nor the pomp that beats on the high shore of the world. This is the mighty history of the British Empire, a people living on a tiny island in the North Atlantic Ocean, built an empire that circled the earth and brought freedom and education to languishing millions. This empire was blessed by Almighty God and one of his best educated teachers, William Shakespeare. Shakespeare has educated some of the greatest leaders of all time, such as Abraham Lincoln and Winston Churchill. We shall never surrender. Our troubled world needs a fresh crew of nation-building leaders. Are you ready to step up to the challenge? Welcome to the exciting classroom of Shakespeare's Royal Education with host Dennis Leap. Well, greetings, everyone. Welcome back to Shakespeare's Royal Education. Now, there are no comments today, and uh, uh, I think some of these next programs is going to make you want to want to comment. But so remember, if you have a comment about today's podcast, don't hesitate to join me in on the conversation. I just want you to know that you you have a you have a part in this as well. You can you can send in comments, and that will maybe stimulate other people. All right. So in our last program which aired on July 12th, I discussed the horrendous disloyalty of Lear's two oldest daughters. Now, what I want to do for the next two programs, and, and this would be like part one today and part two the next time we tape, but I want to take the next two programs and I want to discuss how Lear and Gloucester's evil children banish them from their lives. And so so it it really is a very tragic play and it really does have a lot to say about family and unfortunately i think uh you know shakespeare i don't think he necessarily saw into the future but there are obviously the same problems uh at his time that we were having in our time as well so what i want to do is i want to go to act two scene three it'll be page 51 for you and what I'm titling this section is Edgar is a foreshadowing of the fate of Lear and Gloucester. And uh, it, this is, a, I think, a very wonderful soliloquy. It's a sad soliloquy, but it, it really is, uh, you know, very, very important. And when you read the play, you wonder, well, why is this tagged on like this? Why, is, why does Edgar get this scene by himself? And I think once we go through this, um, as the beginning, you're going to see that, that Shakespeare was just really smart in his foreshadowing. And he's saying, 
Okay, Edgar is going to be a symbol of what's coming. So, so here's Edgar. I'm going to read it all to you. You can follow along. Again, it's uh, Act 2, Scene 3, page 51. Edgar says, I heard myself proclaimed. Now, when you first read that, what does he mean by that? Actually, he's referring back to our last podcast. And, and essentially, remember, Edgar, uh, you know, was, he was being hidden by his brother. And then that whole scene where Edmund, you know, he fakes the fact that, uh, that, that, you know, he was stabbed by his brother Edgar and that Edgar was trying to get him to kill, you know, kill his father. This is what it all goes back to. And he says, I heard myself proclaimed. And essentially what he's saying is, I heard myself proclaimed as an outlaw. And he, he's an outlaw. He's, he's out there now. He's, he's, uh, you know, on his own, really. And, and so, so that's where you, if you connect to the last podcast and, uh, you know, you can ex- go back to that exchange between Edmund and Gloucester. This is what he's referring to. He heard it. He overheard it. And he says, and by the happy hollow of a tree escaped the hunt. And so, so he's telling us in this soliloquy that the reason he, he ran and he escaped. Remember, uh, his brother says, Oh, come on down. He was up in like the attic or some, you know, upper part of the, the estate. And, uh, he said, Oh, come on down. And, uh, you know, so, so, but he had to get out of there and he rushed off. And what he found was he found a hollow tree and he hid in it. And because, because, uh, the, the uh, remember Gloucester sent out his servants he says find him find him right now we're going to take care of this so he goes on to say I escaped the hunt no port is free no place that guard and most unusual vigilance and so so here he, he's, he's not you know at the castle he's not where his you know his, he grew up he's out on his own he's out in like a wilderness area but he's seen all these things. He, he actually tried to get to a port. And what he realized is there are guards already on vigilance. And they want to arrest him. That's what he knows. That they want to take him. He says, uh, he says, the guard in the most unusual vigilance does not attend my taking. And he said, look, they're ready to arrest him. And he goes on to say, while I may escape, I preserve myself and am be thought to take the basest and most poorest shape that ever penury in contempt of man. And so, so essentially what he says, I've got to change the way I look. I've got to change what I look like. And he says, I'm going to make sure I look like some of the poorest people in the world. And so, so in, in some ways, as we go through this, I'm going to show you that, uh, you know, we see a lot of this happening in the United States as well. Essentially, what he's saying is, I'm going to become like the tent people in Portland, or I'm going to become like the tent people in San Francisco or Seattle. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to just hide in that crowd and then they'll never find me. And so, so that's what he's, he's trying to say. He goes on to say, um, of course, you, I think everybody out there knows the word penury means the extreme poverty. And, uh, you know, uh, if you look at those people on the street, I know there was just a, a, a special on uh, one of the news programs last night where the, uh, fentanyl and all these things are getting out there. And, and that they showed this one part of Portland, Oregon, where the people look like they're zombies. They're just walking around. They don't have any. It's like they have no brain function. It's like the night of the living dead out there. And because they're so hopped up on drugs and they're mixing all these things together. And, uh, 
you know, they, 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 they're just stooped, they're walking, they're, they're, it's really sad. He goes on to say, brought near to, uh, brought near to beast, my face I'll grime with filth. Blanket my loins, elf all my hairs in knots. So, he, so what he's doing, he's recreating himself to look like, like a you know a tent person, and uh, we we'll just put it in the modern modern term. He says, and with presented uh, and with presented nakedness, outface the winds and persecutions of the sky. The country gives me proof and precedent of bedlam beggars who, with roaring voices, strike in their numbed and mortified bare arms. So, so essentially, you know, at the time of Shakespeare, you know, people that maybe were living on the street, they were called bedlam beggars. And so, so he's going to make himself look like this. And, uh, you know, again, you just, you cannot, uh, miss the association that this is like the street people in Portland and, and the people in San Francisco and the people in LA and Seattle. And, and he goes on to say, Pins, wooden pricks, nails, sprigs of rosemary, and with this horrible object from low farms, poor pelting villages, sheep coats and mills, sometimes with lunatic bands, sometimes with prayers, enforce their charity. Poor Turley God, poor Tom, that's something yet. Edgar, I am nothing. And so so essentially, again, this is this is a very sad state for Edgar. You know, he's he's been totally abused by his brother his father now considers him a villain you know they have all these it's like the police are after him he's trying to hide out and the thing he realizes i'll just go hang around with the beggars they'll never look for me there and so so he says now i am nothing and so so again that's that's a really a beautiful soliloquy but it also is a foreshadowing now if we just go over to page 52 this is again act two scene four and and essentially what happens is it's a big kind of a big surprise. But but here what what happens is Lear and the fool is back and a and a gentleman, he's one of the knights, Lear shows up at Gloucester's house. <laughs> and of course we all know who's already there. We know Conway's there, we know Regan is there, and uh it, it, it's it's gonna get really, really interesting now. But uh uh again uh, Lear walks in and he says, "'Tis strange that they should so depart from home and not send back my messenger." And so, so essentially, what what happened? If you go all the way back a few more scenes, and remember, Goneril got rid of him. He got rid of him and his knights. And she, he said, uh, essentially, what she did, she sent Oswald to send a letter to Regan, get out of your house because your dad's coming. And so, so this is what's happening. And remember, Goneril said to Lear, go to your sisters. I don't want you here. Go to your sisters. Let her take you on. And, uh, so he gets there and they're not there, you know. So what Lear does, which, which you would think one of his best friends is Gloucester. So he says, I'm going to go to Gloucester's house and see what's going on. And so, so it's a big surprise. So, so the gentleman says, as I learned the night before, there was no purpose in them of this remove. So, so here's, here's one of the nights. And, and, and what he said was, look, they had no, they had no plans to leave their home. And he said, I don't understand what's happening. And so, so the thing is, I don't think they, they even recognize necessarily that they're there. 
but all of a sudden they're there. And, uh, uh, but, but we know there was every intention for them to leave. It was, it was purposely planned by the two daughters. They're dumping, they're dumping their dad essentially. And then guess who is, uh, who's, you know, sitting out there? <laughs> Kent, remember, he's in the stocks. And, uh, and, uh, Kent goes, Hail to thee, noble master. And Lear goes, ha. <laughs> and there's a little bit of comedy here. It's going to get bad, though, pretty quick. But ha. And then notice Lear says, Makes thou this shame thy pastime? <laughs> and he said, What are you doing in the stocks? You know, this is his, I mean, even Lear doesn't know it's really Kent. This is the new guy he hired. And, uh, 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 it's so funny. And the Kent goes, No, my lord. And the fool goes, now, I forgot that the fool was going to be in here. I thought we were done with the fool, but the fool goes, ha ha, he wears cruel garters. Horses are tied by the heads, dogs and bears by the neck, monkeys by the loins, and men by the legs. When a man's over lusty at legs, then he wears wooden nether stocks. <laughs> and so, so here's the fool picking on, on Ken. Then Lear says, what, what he that has so much thy place mistook to set thee there? So Lear is immediately upset because this is his man. This is a man that he sent to find out what's going on. And, uh, you know, he gave him an official command to do something. And he's saying, what happened here? You know, wh why are you in there? And Kent says, It is both he and she, your son and daughter. And, and Lear just explodes. He cannot believe that his son, who he just gave what, a major portion of the kingdom. He also gave them a crown. You know, he, he said, how could you do this to me? And uh, uh, he, he, Lear responds, no, that can't be. Can't. Yes. Lear, no, I say, can't. I say, yay. Lear, no, no, they would not. Kent says, Yes, they have. Lear says, By Jupiter, I swear no. Kent says, By Juno, I swear I. And so, 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 the, Lear is just, it, it's, it's just preposterous to him this has even happened. Then Lear says, They durst not do it. They could not, would not do it. Tis worse than murder to do upon respect such violent outrage. Resolve me with all modest haste which way thou mightst deserve or they impose this usage coming from us. So he's saying, how could they not respect me when I sent you? How can that happen? And then uh, Kent actually goes back and he gives them background that we've already known from Act 2, Scene 2. And and that that scene is best called Kent versus Oswald. <laughs> you know, so so he's saying, okay, I'm going to give you some background now, now, King Lear. My lord, when at their home I did commend your highness letters to them, ere I was risen from that place that showed my duty kneeling, there came a reeking post, stewed in his haste, half breathless, panting forth from Goneril, his mistress, salutations. So here, Kent is saying, look, your daughter Goneril sent Oswald with letters about you here. And he said, I know that. I know what was happening. And, and he said, essentially what he's trying to do is defend himself why they got into such an argument. And of course, uh, we talked a lot about that on the last program, is, is Kent's anger. And uh, he said, Stewed in his haste, half breathless, panting forth from Goneril, his mistress, salutations, delivered letters, 
spite of intermission, which presently they read, on whose contents they summoned up their meanie straight to course, commanded me to follow, and attend the leisure of their answer gave me cold looks. So, so essentially, what he's saying is, I saw all this happen at their home. That happened, Oswald delivered the letters, and so as soon as they got the letter, they packed up and they left. And so, so of course, Lear is just fab- flabbergasted. He can't believe this has even happened. He said, Commanded me to follow, and attend the leisure of their answer gave me cold looks. And meeting here the other messenger, whose welcome I perceived had poisoned mine, being the very fellow of that late displayed so saucily against your highness, having more man than wit about me, drew. He raised the house with loud and cowardly cries. Your son and daughter found this trespass worth the shame which here it suffers. And so he said, look, uh, you know, I got into argument with them. There was, he was screaming, uh, you know, Cornwall and your daughter come out. And they say, okay, he goes in the stocks. And remember, uh, even Cornwall says, well, he can have it till noon. And then Reagan said, oh, no, he's going to be there all night. And so, so uh, you know, you can see where, you know, who's more evil, the women or the husbands. And the fool says, listen to this, it's really funny. Winter's not gone yet. If the wild geese fly that way, fathers that wear rags do make their children blind. But fathers that see that bear bags shall see their children kind. So he's actually, the fool is actually correcting Lear again. He said, look, you know, you've done something wrong with your children. You know, what, what were you doing? Uh, you know, essentially what he's saying, fathers that wear rags, or you de-kinged yourself. <laughs> you know, you got rid of your royalty, you gave up your crown, and it said it makes the children blind. But the fathers that bear bags shall see their children kind. In other words, have you really corrected these girls? You know, have you really dealt with them? He says, fortune that errant whore never turns the key to the poor, but for this thou shalt have as many dollars or dollars, and that means sorrows, for your daughters, as you can tell in a year. So he's saying, to, the fool is saying to Lear, Lear, you brought this on yourself. You're going to be a mess. You're going to have a lot of sorrows the rest of your life because of this. And then Lear goes on to say, oh, how this this mother swells up toward my heart. And it, essentially, everybody, if, you, if you're looking at the pelican the way you should, if you go down to the bottom, it explains that when he says, oh, this mother, he really means hysteria. So essentially, Lear is getting so worked up that it's it's affecting his heart. It's 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 really causing him a lot of you know pain in his in his uh, even in his abdomen. He, it says uh, he says hysterica passio. That's a metal that that at that time was a medical term for hysteria. Down not climbing sorrow. The elements below. Where is this daughter? And so he's even saying the elements below. Um, that really could be the abdomen, or even for, for a woman, it would be considered the womb. And so he is so emotionally distraught, he can't believe it's even happening. And he says, where is this daughter? And, and Kent says, with the earl, sir, here within. And Lear says, follow me not. <laughs> he said, stay here. Well, Kent can't go anywhere. <laughs> He's in the stocks. But but it, it goes on, he, he goes on that the... Uh, the gentleman says to him, made you no more offense but what you speak of? And Kent says, none. No, no. That, he said, and even the, the, the knight can't understand why he's in the stocks. 
And he says, How chance the king comes with so small a train? Why? There's just you and Lear and, and the fool? Is that all you have? Where's the rest? Well, Goneril banished them all. He got, she got rid of them. And then the, then the fool, he slaps them around. He says, And thou hadst set in the stocks for that question, thou didst well deserve it. <laughs> He said, yeah, now I know why you deserve to be in the stocks, because that's a stupid question. You should know what happened. And and the fool says this. He says, we'll set thee to school to an ant to teach thee there's no laboring in the winter. All that follow their noses are led by their eyes, but blind men, and there's not a nose among 20, but can smell him that's stinking. Let go thy bold when a great wheel runs down the hill, lest it break thy neck with following but the great one that goes upward, let him draw thee after. Wise, when a wise man gives thee better counsel, give me mine again. I would have none but knaves follow it, since a fool gives it. Now, essentially, what the fool is saying to Kent is, look, it's not going to be profitable for you to follow Lear anymore. He's telling them, learn from the ant. <laughs> you know, look where you're at. This is not working. You know, you you need to be careful yourself. And he goes on to say, this is on page 55, that sir what serves and seeks for gain and follows but for form will pack when it begins to rain and leave thee in the storm. But I will tarry, the fool will stay and let the wise man fly. The knave turns fool that runs away. The fool no knave. And that the the word purdy there is actually, uh, it's a vain use of God's name. So I'm not going to read that out loud. But anyway, that's what that means. And then Ken says, Where learned you this, fool? And he says, Not in the stocks, fool. <laughs> so he's really telling them, Hey, who's the fool? Who's the real fool? So so essentially, th- th- this gets really, really bad because uh, Lear and, and uh, Gloucester now come back on the scene and, and uh, Lear wants Gloucester to, you know, get... Reagan in Cornwall so he can talk to them. And uh, uh, Gloucester eventually just tells them, look, they're not coming to see you. They don't want to talk to you. And then Lear says, deny to speak with me. They are sick. They are weary. They have traveled all night. Mere fetches. The images of revolt and flying off fetch me a better answer. And Gloucester says, my dear Lord, you know the fiery quality of the Duke, how unremovable and fixed he is in his course. And Lear says, vengeance, plague, death, confusion, fiery, what quality? Why, Gloucester, Gloucester, I'll speak with the Duke of Cornwall and his wife. And Gloucester says, well, my good Lord, I've informed him so. And he says, informed them? Dost thou understand me, man? (laughs) Gloucester says, I'm my good Lord. He said, the king would speak with Cornwall. The dear father would with his daughter speak, commands, tends, service. Are they informed of this? My breath and blood, fiery, the fiery duke. Tell that hot duke that no, but not yet. Maybe he's not well. Infirmity does still neglect all office. Whereto our health is bound. We are not ourselves when nature being oppressed commands the mind to suffer with the body. So he's still emotionally upset and he's saying, okay, go get him. But then he realizes, well, maybe he is sick. You know, and uh, because... Right now, Lear is pretty sick as well. He says, I'll forbear and am fallen not with my more headier will to take the indisposed and sickly fit for the sound, uh, for the sound man. 
Death on my state, wherefore should I, where should he sit here? This act persuades me that this remotion of the duke and her is practice only. Give me my, my servant forth. Go tell the duke and his wife, I'll speak with them. Now presently bid them come forth and hear me, or at their chamber door I'll beat the drum till it cries sleep to death. <laughs> so he said, okay, then I'll come down, I'm getting a drum, I'm going to beat it in the front of their bedroom door. So uh, uh, anyway, Gloucester says, I would have all well betwixt you. So so Gloucester, in, in some ways, is innocent here. He doesn't even know what's coming for him. And, uh, you know, he's, he's, he does have an awful, awful lot of love and respect for Lear. Lear says, oh me, my heart, my, my rising heart, but down. And so, so in other words, he, he's almost having a heart attack here. And the fool says, cry to it, knuckle, as the cockney did to the eels when she put him in for the paste alive. So this is when they, they were making a, you know, a pastry with fish in it. She said she napped him on the coxcombs with a stick and cried, down, wantons, down. T'was her brother that, in pure kindness to his horse, buttered his hay. Now, in, in some ways, the fool is saying, eh, I don't know if you're going to get this there. I don't know if what's going to come out. If you really look at the expression, he, they, they uh, in pure kindness to his horse, buttered his hay. If you know anything about horses, they will not eat buttered hay because they do not like grease. And so, so it's in some ways, the fool is saying, okay, well, we'll try it, but you know what? It's probably not going to work. But then Cornwall and Regan uh, and Gloucester, they do finally come out. And so, so Gloucester is successful there. But it says there, good morrow to you both. And in Cornwall, what a snake, says, well, hail to your grace. And uh, Kent here set at liberty. So, so, uh, you know, Kent, this is a little, little uh, aside. So Kent is still, uh, he's not in the stocks anymore. They actually, Cornwall was gutsy enough to say, okay, he's out. In other words, he, he actually stood up to his wife. And then Reagan says, I'm glad to see your highness. And then Lear says, Regan, I think you are. I know what reason I have to think so. If thou should not be glad, I would divorce me from my mother's tomb. So, so what Lear is saying there is, I'm not really sure that you're happy to see me. And he said, so if that's true, I'm going to divorce your mother and you're no longer my daughter. That's what he's saying here. And uh, uh, then to Kent, he looks at him and says, oh, are you free? Some other time for that. <laughs> so, and then he goes back to Regan. So he's, he's happy to see Kent's re- free, but he says, Beloved Regan, thy sister's not. Oh, Regan, she hath tied sharp tooth unkindness like a vulture here. I can scarce speak to you. Thou not believe with how depraved a quality. Oh, Regan. So this guy, this, this king is pouring out his heart to this daughter who could care less about him. And Regan says, I pray you, sir, take patience. I have hope you less know how to value her desert than she to scant her duty. And and uh, Lear just goes, say? How is that? And essentially what Regan is saying is, you need to value your daughter for how wise she is. And and, and just, just look at her good quality. So Regan says, I cannot think my sister in the least would fail her obligation. 
mean her obligation to you. If, sir, perchance, sir, perchance, she has restrained the riots of your followers, tis on such ground and to such wholesome end as clears her from all blame. And she says, well, Dad, maybe it's not you. Maybe it's all your followers that's got her upset. And he said, and essentially what he's saying, she's saying is, look, Dad, you need to look at her merits, her good side, rather than seeing her, you know, um, let's say, you know, kicking the, out the, the, the knights. And he said, she said, need to clear her of all blame. She's, she's good. You know, your sister, your daughter is good. And you know what Larry says? <laughs> Page 58. My curse is on her. <laughs> and then Regan says, oh, sir, you are old. Nature in you stands on the very verge of his confine. You should be ruled and led by some discretion that discerns your state better than you yourself. Therefore, I pray you that to our sister you do make return. Say you have wronged her. <laughs> so, so Regan is saying, I don't want you either. You need to go back. You need to go back to, to Goneril. And Lear says, ask her forgiveness? Dear daughter, I confess that I am old. And he kneels down. He says, age is unnecessary. On my knees I beg that you vouchsafe me raiment, bed, and food. <laughs> he says, please don't send me back to Goneril. Uh, I'll, I'll get on my knees. I'm begging you. Please don't let me, make me do this. And she says, good sir, no more. These are unsightly tricks. Return you to my sister. And and Lear rises. He says, never, Regan. She hath abated me of my, half my train, looked black upon me, struck me with her tongue, most serpent-like upon her very heart. All the stored vengeances of all heaven fall on her ungrateful top. Strike her young bones, you taking ears with lameness. And then Cornwall says, Fee surf, or I think it's, I think it's fie surf, fie surf, fie. And so Cornwall is now stepping in and saying, look, Lear, I don't like what you're saying here about, about Goneril. And Lear says, you nimble lightnings dart your blinding flames into her scornful eyes, infect her beauty, you fence-sucked fogs drawn by the powerful sun to fall and blister. And, and Regan, Regan almost passes out when she hears that. She was, oh, the blessed gods. So will you wish one on me when the rash mood is on? <laughs> she said, so am I doomed now? You know, and Lear says, no, Reagan, you shall never have my curse. Thy tender hefted nature shall not give thee over to harshness. Her eyes are fierce, but thine do comfort and not burn. So he is really on his knees saying, would you please just let me stay here? He says, "'Tis not a need to grudge my pleasures, to cut off my train, to bandy hasty words, to scant my sizes, and in conclusion to oppose the bolt against my coming in. Thou better knowest the offices of nature, bond of childhood, effects of courtesy, dues of gratitude, thy half of the kingdom thou hast not forgot, wherein I thee endowed. And Reagan says, "'Good, sir, to the purpose.'" She says, "'Okay, I'm tired of listening to this. What is your purpose here now?' And he goes, who put my man in the stocks? So he has not done with that part yet. He said, who did it? I want to know who did it. And and uh, then Cornwall says, what trumpet's that? Regan's then says, I know it, my sister's. The, this approves her letter that she would soon be here. And uh, um, uh, so Cornwall hears a trumpet coming. So So essentially... 
Uh, I'll surprise you here in a minute, actually, who's showing up. And then the steward Oswald says, is your lady come? Lear says, this is a slave whose easy borrowed pride dwells in the fickle grace of her he follows out of varlet from my sight. So, so if you, if you remember what we talked about in the last program, uh, here to Lear now is he's getting that angry, um, comments of, uh, Kent. He's saying, yeah, Oswald's here. He's a varlet. <laughs> Basically, he's saying the same thing Kent did. Cornwall says, what means your grace? Who stalked my servant? Regan, I have good hope thou didst not on it and enter now. Here's the big surprise. Guess who shows up? Goneril. Goneril gets back. And then <sighs> Lear just can't believe it. Who comes here? Oh, heavens. If you do love old men, if your sweet sway allow obedience, if you yourselves are old, make it your cause, send down and take my part. <laughs> he says, I don't want to see this woman. And uh, he looks at Goneroy, he says, Art not ashamed to look upon this beard? O Regan, will you take her by the hand? And then Goneroy says, Why not by the hand, sir? How have I offended? All's not offense that indiscretion finds and dotage terms so. Lear just goes nuts. O side, you are too tough. Will you yet hold? How came my man in the stocks? Cornwall then says, I set him there, sir, but for his own disorders, deserved much less advancement. And he looks at him, he says, you? Did you? And then Reagan says, I pray your father, being weak, seem so. If till the expiration of your month, you will return and sojourn with my sister, dismissing half your train, come then to me. I am now from home and out of that provision, which shall be needful for your entertainment. So she's saying, look, she's still going back. She says, look, Look, get it together, you know, agree that you're going to get rid of all the train, and then you can come to my house. And there says, return to her, and fifty men dismissed. No, rather I abjure all roofs, and choose to wage against the enmity of the air, to be a comrade with the wolf and the owl. Necessity's sharp pinch, return with her. Why, the hot-blooded France that dourless took, our youngest born, I could as well be brought to knee his throne and a squirrel-like pension leg to keep base life afoot, return with her. Persuade me rather to slave and sumter to this detested groom. So so Lear's laying it down here and uh, basically he's beginning to realize the daughter he banished is the daughter he needs to be with. And, and, and uh, you know, the, the the two older daughters just really they really hate him and they they detest him and uh uh you know and the goneril says it's at your choice sir and lear says i pray thee daughter do not make me mad i will not trouble thee my child farewell well no more meet no more see one another but you yet thou art are my flesh and my blood my daughter or rather a disease that's in my flesh so he said, Gone wrong, you're like a disease in my flesh. He says, which I must needs call mine. Thou art a boil, a plague sore, an embossed carbuncle in my corrupted blood, but I'll not chide thee. Let shame come when it will. I do not call it. I do not bid the thunder bearer shoot, nor tell tales of thee to high judging Jove. Mend when thou canst, be better at thy leisure. I can't, I can be patient, I can stay with Regan. 
and my hundred knights. And you know what Regan does? Not altogether so, Dad, basically. I look not for you yet, nor am I provided for your fit welcome. Give ear, sir, to my sister, for those that mingle reason with your passion must be content to think you old and so, but she knows what she does. Lear says, is this well spoken? Regan says, I dare avouch it, sir. What fifty followers is not well? What you should need of more? Yea, so many Sith that both charge and and uh, danger. Is it, yeah, danger. Says, speak against so great a number. How in one house should many people under two commands hold amity? Tis hard, almost impossible. Then Goneril pops in and says, Why might not you, my lord, receive attendance from those that she calls servants or from mine? They said, Look, you don't need your knights. You can use our attendants. And that is not what, what Lear wants. Regan goes on, Why not, my lord, if then they chance to slack you, we could control them. If you will come to me, for now I spy a danger, I entreat you to bring but five and twenty. To no more will I give peace or notice. So so it's the numbers are dropping quick. He says, okay, twenty-five, you can come to my house. Lear says, I gave you all. Regan, in a good time you gave it. Lear, then he says, made you my guardians, my de- uh, deposteries, but kept a reservation to be followed with such a number. What? Must I come to you with five and twenty? Regan said you so? And speak it again, my lord, no more with me. Those wicked creatures yet do look well favored when others are more wicked, not being the worst stands in some rank of praise. So so he's saying, look, you're wicked creatures. And then he looks to Goneril and he says, I'll go with thee by fifty yet double five and twenty, and thou art twice her love. So so now he's saying, okay, I'm not staying with Regan if I have 20 and 5, but I'll go back with you if uh, if you let me have 50. And then Gondol says, hear me, my lord, what need you 5 and 20, 10 or 5, to follow in the house where twice so many have a command to tend you? What need one? <laughs> she said, I'll give you one. And then Lear just, well, he did probably explodes. Or reason not the need, our basest beggars are in the poorest things superfluous. So now Lear goes on to somewhat of a, uh, a soliloquy. And it's, 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 again, it's, it's Edgar. It, Edgar's the foreshadowing, and now Lear is in the same position that Edgar's in. I was in. He said, Our basest beggars are in the poorest things superfluous. Allow not nature more than nature needs. Man's life is cheap as beasts. Thou art a lady. If only to go warm were gorgeous, why nature needs not what thou gorgeous wearest, which scarcely keeps thee warm. But for the true need, you heavens, give me that patience, patience I need. You see me here, you gods, oh, a poor old man, as full of grief as age, wretched in both. If it be yours that stirs these daughters' hearts against their father, fool me not so much to bear it tamely. Touch me with noble anger, and let not women's weapons, water drops, stain mine, my man's cheeks. He says, look, if you're, if you're, if this is, if I've done something wrong, he's talking to the gods, if I've done something wrong, and you're punishing me through the daughters, could you stop that and just punish me personally? <laughs> he said, I can take that. He said, but this is just 
tearing him up. And he said he's, he's you know, he's crying. His, his daughters really don't love him. He says, no, you unnatural hags. I mean, that's, and, and that, that, that word is, it, it comes up a lot in this play. Are you natural or are you unnatural? And if you're natural, you love. You love family. If you're unnatural, you're an unnatural hag. He says, I will have such revenges on you both that all the world shall, I will do such things. What they are, yet I know not, but they shall be the terrors of the earth. You think I'll weep? No, I'll not weep. And then all of a sudden, you in the background, you hear the storm and the tempest. So, so the, the, the big storm is coming. He says, I have full cause of weeping, but this heart shall break into a hundred thousand flaws, or I'll weep. Oh, fool, I shall go mad. So he's giving us a foreshadowing of what we're going to see happen. Cornwall then says, let us withdraw, it will be a storm. And then Regan, so, so in other words, they came out to talk. They're all inside, the storm's coming. Cornwall says, ah, let's go back in, the storm's coming. And then Regan says, this house is little, and the old man and people cannot be well bestowed. And then Gonel says, tis his own blame hath put himself from rest and must needs taste his folly. Regan then says, for his particular, I'll receive him gladly, but not one follower. Goneril, so I am purpose, where is my lord of Gloucester? Cornwall said he's followed the old man forth. And so, so, uh, essentially what, what's happening is Lear is on his way. He's gone. He's, he, the storm's coming. He said, okay, I'm done. The Gloucester said, uh, Cornwall says, followed the old man forth. And Gloucester says, um, or he's returned. He says, oh, he is returned. As Gloucester says, the king is in high rage. Whither is he going? He says, he calls the horse, but I will not know where. And the Cornwall says, tis best to give him way. He leads himself. And Goneril says, my lord, entreat him by no means to stay. So listen to this daughter. There's a ma- massive storm coming. And it's really going to be a terrible storm. And Goneril says, don't call him back here. Let him go. And then Gloucester says, Alack, the night comes on, and the high winds do sorely ruffle. For many miles about, there's scarcely a bush, you know. And so everything's getting blown apart. I mean, it's uh, trees, leaves are flying off the trees. It's really bad, windy. Sounds like Oklahoma to me. And it says, Regan says, Oh, sir, to willful men, the injuries that they themselves procure must be their schoolmasters. Listen to that. She said, Oh, you know what? Our old father needs to learn a few lessons. So let him go. Let him go. And uh, he, he said, shut up your doors. He is attended with a desperate train. And what they may incense him uh, to being apt to have his ear abused, wisdom bids fear. Cornwall, this is what they're saying to Gloucester now. And again, Cornwall is really Gloucester's boss in that sense. Shut up your doors, my lord. Tis a wild night. My Reagan counsels well. Come out of the storm. And so, so, uh, essentially, what they're saying is, let him out there. I mean, he's an old man. He's with the fool. There's not a whole lot of people protecting him. And he's got one gentleman. And so, so they actually banished their father from the family. He's done. Let him go out there. Let, let the, let, let him learn some lessons. So, uh, we could we could actually I have a little bit of time, so let's get into Act Three just a little bit, and uh, um, 
it, it uh, it'll help move us along. But essentially, when when you begin Act Three, uh, Scene One, the the, uh, the little kind of note at the top says the storm, uh, storm still, st- storm is still going on. Uh, Kent enters, and uh, he he's still disguised, and there's a, a a night with them, and Kent says, "Who's there beside foul weather?" And the gentleman says, "One minded like the weather, and most unquietly." Kent says, "I know you. Where's the king?" And the gentleman says, contending with the fretful elements, bids the winds blow the earth into the sea or swell the curled waters above the main, that things might change or cease, tears him white hair, which the impetuous blast with eyeless rage, catch in their fury and make nothing of, strives in this little world of man to outscorn the to and fro conflicting wind and rain. This night, wherein the cub-drawn bear would couch, the lion and the belly-pinched wolf keep their fur dry, unbonneted he runs, and bids what will take all. So essentially what, what the, the knight is telling him is Lear is out running crazy in the storm. He's gone crazy. He, he's, he's, he's heartbroken. And then uh, uh, Kent responds says, Sir, I do know you, and dare upon the warrant of my note commend a dear thing to you. There is division, although yet the face of it be covered with mutual cunning twixt Albany and Cornwall, who have, as who have not, that their great stars throned and set high, servants who seem no less which are to France the spies and speculations intelligent of our state. So essentially what, what Ken is telling him is, is about the letter from Cordelia. This is what he was reading in the stocks. And he said, look, there's, there's a civil war coming between Albany and Cornwall, and uh, it's it's not going to be be good, but there's uh, intelligence from France uh, that that uh, there's going to be some intervention, and of course we know that's going to be Cordelia. Hey, I'll just go on on line twenty four. It says, "Which are to France the spies and speculations intelligent of our state? What hath been seen either in snuffs and packings of the dukes, or the hard rain which both of them have borne against the old kind king, or something deeper, whereof perchance these are but furnishings? But it is true, from France there comes a power into this scattered kingdom, who already wise in our negligence have secret feet in some of our best ports, and are at the point to show their open banner." Now to you, if on my credit you dare build so far, to make your speed to Dover, you shall find some that will thank you, making just report of how unnatural and bemaddening sorrow the king hath caused to pain. I am a gentleman of blood and breeding, and from some knowledge and assurance offer this office to you. And so, so Kenneth said, he didn't reveal himself, but he said, look, I, I uh, you know, I'm, I'm a, a well-known guy. And, you know, if you go out and do this for me, uh, you know, it's going to work well for you. The gentleman says, I will talk further with you. And Ken says, No, do not. For confirmation that I am much more than my outwall, open this purse and take what it contains. If you shall see Cordelia, as fear not, but you shall, show her this ring, and she will tell you who your fellow is, yet you do not know. Fee on this storm, I will go seek the king. The gentleman says, give me your hand, have you no more to say? So in other words, Kent didn't want to reveal himself because he's not, he can't trust anybody either. And he said, if you see Cordelia, give her this ring, she knows it's mine, and then she'll tell you who I am. But then he's, he's kind of the, this gentleman is out of the situation. 
And then Ken says, Few words, but to effect more than all yet, that when we have found the king, in which your pain that way, and I'll this, he that first lights on him, holler the other. And so, so essentially, Ken has really stepped up, and he's now going to go out and do what the daughter should have done, try to find him and protect him, because he's, uh, he's really not doing that well. All right, so uh, we can go on. Again, I have a little more time. So we can go on to, to scene two of Act Three, and it's, it's the storm still, and this is probably uh, one of the most um, dramatic scenes that, that uh, Shakespeare created for any play. And if you, if you, you know, understand, you know, the, the play and you understand how they, they uh, showed on stage, this is probably one of the most um, incredible scenes you could ever see. I've seen, I've seen it done in a film, and actually it's, it's a little better, uh, you know, in a film. But I've also seen it live uh, in England. And uh, the actor that has to do this really has to have a good voice because cause Lear is out there screaming and it's lightning and thunder and there's rain. and uh, uh, But this is probably one of the, the, the most challenging um, scenes for an actor to even, to even be in. And uh, I could use my scary voice, but I don't want to scare Dan. He's, he's my producer and we want to we don't want to make him afraid. So, but anyway, the very first line, Lear, he says, "Blow winds and crack your cheeks, rage blow you cataracts, and hurricanes, hurricanoes spout till you have drenched our steeples, drowned the cocks, you surplus and thought executing fire, executing fires, font couriers of oak cleaving thunderbolts." Singe my white head, and you, all shaking thunder, strike flat the thick rontunity of the world. Crack nature's molds, all Germans spill at once, that makes ingrateful men. And so, so this is really a scary scene. And uh, if you have all the, the right, uh, I don't know how Shakespeare did it, because they didn't have the technology that we have now. But uh, they must have had people up in the attic, you know, beating uh, pieces of metal and and uh, I don't know how they did the lighting and uh, uh, but anyway uh, the fool says oh knuckle court holy water in a dry house is better than this rainwater out of the door <laughs> so, so the fool saying Lear why didn't we just stay at the house he said now now look we're outdoors it's raining he says good knuckle in ask thy daughter's blessing here's a night pities neither wise men nor fools <laughs> he said we're, we're going to be in big trouble. Can't you just go back and apologize? And uh, Lear says, Rumble thy belly full, spit, fire, spout, rain. Nor rain, wind, thunder, fire are my daughters. I taxed not you, you elements with unkindness. I never gave you kingdom, called you children. You owe me no subscription. Then let fall your horrible pleasure. Here I stand, your slave, a poor, infirm, weak, and despised old man. But yet I call you servile ministers that will with two pernicious daughters join your high-engendered battles against a head so old and white as this. Oh, oh, tis foul. <laughs> so, so he's saying, look, why are you picking on me? I'm an old guy. 
My hair's white. And the fool says, he that has a house to put his head in has a good headpiece. <laughs> and so, so the, the, the fool is funny, but he's going to be, uh, he's going to exit from the play here pretty quick. Uh, he says, the codpiece that will house before the head as any, the head he held, he shall louse. So beggars marry many. The man that makes his toe what he, he his heart should make shall of a corn cry row, woe, and turn his sleep to wake. For there was never yet fair woman, but she made mouths in a glass. Now, that's just silliness. So, so I don't know if there's even a long explanation for what that's all about. So now Kent comes back. And Lear says, no, I will be the pattern of all patience. I will say nothing. And so so the point is, uh, if you really understand that line, it's really an important line in the play, is uh, a lot of people believe that that Shakespeare modeled uh, the character Lear from the Job, from the Bible. And that's something that, that Job would have said, no, I will be the pattern of all patience. And so, so uh, they they they're saying that. And if you look at the Bible and study about Job, I mean, he went to, with through some horrendous things from weather and storms and all of that. And so, so you can see where where Shakespeare did really read his Bible. And then Ken says, "Who's there?" And the fool says, "Mary, here's grace and a codpiece. That's a wise man and a fool." <laughs> so, so you think he'd just slap the fool? I mean, it's like, okay, this is a pretty tough situation. Uh, it's not funny right now. And Ken says, Alas, sir, are you here? Things that love night, love not nights such as these. The wrathful skies gallow the very wanderers of the dark and make them deep their caves. Since I was man, such sheets of fire, such bursts of horrid thunder, such groans of roaring wind and rain, I never remember to have heard. Man's nature cannot carry the affliction nor the fear. So this really is a pretty violent storm that even Kent is concerned about it. And Lear, he's just, uh, he's, he, he thinks he's kind of like one with the gods. You know, he's like, hey, I can handle this. If they're going to dump it on me, I can take it. Lear says, let the, let the great gods that keep this dreadful puddler over our heads find out their enemies now. He says, tremble, thou wretch, that thou hast within thee the undivulged crimes unwhipped of justice. Hide thee, thou bloody hand, thou perjured and thou similar of virtue that art incestuous, caitiff to peace shake, that under covert and convenient seeming has practiced on man's life, close pen up guilts, rive your concealing countenance and cry, these dreadful summons grace, I am a man more sinned against than sinning. And so that's another reference to, I think, the, the, uh, the the Bible and to Job, I am more sinned against than sinning, and so he he thinks he's uh, pretty righteous in the way, but uh, he really was, as the fool said, he just really lacked a lot of good sense. Kent goes on to say, then, alack, bareheaded, gracious my lord, hard by here is a hovel. Some friendship will it lend you against the tempest? Repose you there. While I to this hard house, more harder than the stones, whereof tis raised, but which even now demanding after you, denied me to come in, return, and force their scanty courtesy. So what they have done, what, where they're, they're now at a hovel, and actually uh, you're going to find out there are 
there are the poor and, uh, you know, the, the uh, poor people are actually in there as well. And so, but it's actually safe and it's dry. And then Lear says, my wits begin to turn. Come on, my boy. How dost my boy art cold? I am cold myself. Where is this straw, my fellow? The art of our necessities is strange and can make foul things pre- precious. Come, your come, your hovel, poor fool and knave. I have one part in my heart that's sorry yet for thee. And then the fool starts to sing. And I'm not going to do that. We have Dan do that later. We have to put notes to it. He says, the fool sings, He that has in a little tiny wit, with hi-ho the wind and the rain, must make content with his fortunes fit, though the rain it rains every day. And then Lear says, True boy, come, bring us to this hovel. And so, so essentially what they do then as they go in the hovel, and I'm not going to go any further than that today because it's interesting who is in the hovel. And uh, we'll, we'll kind of make, maybe pique peak your, uh, your interest in that. So uh, for next time, what we'll do is uh, uh, we do have a little bit more time today, but I'm going to cut this a little bit short. Um, but uh, uh, next time what we're going to do is we're going to continue in, in Act 3, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you then how they get rid of Gloucester. And uh, it's it's a, actually a pretty bloody thing. And I've seen it done by film. And you can be glad you could, you not have to see it with me. So, so that's all the time we have for today's program. Next time, again, we'll continue with Act 3. Please write me any comments you may have to comments at kpcg.fm. You can also comment at my Twitter page, Shakespeare's Well Education. Thanks for joining me next time as we advance our royal education. You've been listening to Shakespeare's Royal Education on Trumpet Radio. 101.3 KPCG. Streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.